But first, we'll go back far before the Cold War began, to November 18, 1896. On that day, there was an unusual news item in the Sacramento Bee. Last evening, between the hours of 6 and 7 o'clock in the year of our Lord, 1896, a most startling exhibition was seen in the sky in this city of Sacramento. People standing on the sidewalks saw coming through the sky over the housetops what appeared to them to be merely an electric arc lamp propelled by some mysterious force. People saw a big light in the sky. This is folklorist Thomas Bullard. And as it got closer... Some people said they could see a dark form behind the light, a form like something that had wings. It came out of the east and sailed unevenly toward the southwest, dropping now nearer to the earth and now suddenly rising into the air again, as if the force that was whirling it through space was sensible of the dangers of collision with objects upon the earth. A few people even said they could hear voices coming down from the sky. Someone on the ship was supposed to have said, you know, lift her up, we're going to crash into that uh, steeple. And, <laughs> and the ship lifted up and went on. Most spectators didn't hear that particular exchange, but hundreds of people did see the strange sight. The people of Sacramento tried to make sense of what they saw. In the meantime, the airship, as it became known, seemed to move on to other parts of the country. With each sighting, the winged airship took on a more defined form kind of a cigar-shaped gas bag, (laughs) usually with a basket underneath where the passengers were. And then there was always a a, a big headlight in front of the thing and maybe several other lights attached to it. By May 1897, Bullard says, there were several thousand reports of mysterious airships. It got to the point where everybody wanted to see an airship. Any town that didn't see an airship it was just not up to date. So, <laughs> so literally every town tried to have one, apparently, and somebody would have to come forward and say they saw an airship. So to be considered a, a modern town, you had to have a sighting. That became part of having, like, fresh drinking water and paved streets. Having a sighting also showed that you were <laughs> on the cusp of the modern era. Wow. Exactly. Now, in terms of what people can, can document, at least, the only thing that we know for sure that was happening in multiple sites at multiple times, sometimes on the same day, was the creation of these stories about the airships themselves. Right? How would you describe the media's role in disseminating these stories about airships and their sightings? Well, the media had a tremendous influence. And within a week of the, uh, the first reports in California, The uh, newspapers in New York were publishing uh, fanciful pictures of what the thing supposedly looked like. And they never looked like flying saucers in the way we imagine from 1950s era movies, I suppose. No, not in the least. Right. These were very much uh, uh, products of their time. And uh, the 19th century was a time of remarkable inventions that just kept popping up all the time. Right. You know, marvels like uh, steamships, steamships. Railroad engines, Mm -hmm. telegraph, light bulb, phonograph, motion pictures, uh, telephone. But the one thing that didn't appear was the thing that they expected, which was the successful machine that would navigate the air. And I'm still waiting for my flying cars, by the way, which we thought we were going to get at the 21st century. That's right. This is a pattern. (laughs) That's right. This is disappointing. But it wasn't for lack of trying. Fair enough. 
people were always inventing flying machines. Mm-hmm. And the newspapers would report, you know, so-and-so, you know, local boy uh, has a flying machine in his uh, barn and he's going to try it out someday soon, which, of course, always just crashed or just sat on the ground. Mm. But uh, there was some progress being made. Like by the mid-1850s, there were cigar-shaped balloons with some kind of uh, propellers driving it. And it could go a short distance if there was no wind resisting it, but it wasn't really a successful flying machine. Mm. What they were seeing or thought they were seeing in 1896-1897 was based on these these models. So I have to know, were, were there ever any actual airships found? Or how, how do you even explain this wave of stories? I mean, was there evidence of these airships being real? Well, my opinion of this is that there was not any sort of real, genuine UFO or any even uh, a real flying machine. Most of these things were the planet Venus or Mars. It's pretty demonstrable. In many cases, uh, newspapers who were not uh, believers in it would point out that there were a bunch of people standing on the street pointing at the planet Venus and saying, uh, hey, look at that airship. How? If you get a little bit of uh, thin clouds moving across uh, the face of of uh, Venus, it can look like it's moving. It's ah. it's, it's like the uh, the racing moon effect. If you're uh, sometimes you know clouds passing across the face of the moon, right? If if your perspective is just right, then you will see the moon. The clouds are standing still and the moon moving. Ah. But then there were a lot of stories that were hoaxes. A lot of, uh, like a lot of, in a lot of towns where people just wanted to have an airship, somebody would come in and say, hey, I saw the airship. And, uh, you know, it would, it would that's be. That's all it place. took. Yeah, that's all, all they needed. <laughs> and then in other cases, there would be these really elaborate stories like the, the uh, uh, Alexander Hamilton, uh, a farmer in Kansas who said an airship came down one night and it was 300 feet long and there were these strange creatures apparently from another planet, shining a searchlight around. And they lassoed one of his cows, carried it up in the air, and went out of sight. And uh, the next day, somebody found the, uh, a dead or the skin of a, of a dead calf in a, a field, dusty field, but there were no mm. footprints around it. Mm. So it turns out that Hamilton uh, was a... Uh, member of a local liars club. There's actually a club for people yeah, who yeah. don't tell the truth. <laughs> right. And it was it consisted of the most distinguished uh, people in the area. I mean, ha- Hamilton had been a state legislator at one point, and uh, the more elaborate stories tended to be the fakes. Right, right. And, and it bears pointing out that journalism itself does not have a set of industry standards for verifying a lot of these stories, right? That as a field, journalism at this same time is figuring out its own editorial standards, I'm guessing. Right. The standards were, if it sells, it's good. Now, now there were some newspapers that had more integrity than that, but the, the ones that were more likely to promote the airship were ones that were uh, more interested in uh, attracting uh, readers. And fake uh, stories were commonplace in those days. They were taken for granted. They were a form of entertainment. Right, 
tall tales were just very popular. Mm-hmm. And that's old newspapers. So if you got airships to work with, <laughs> go with the airships. So, so Thomas, there, it sounds like there's a, a pattern, both in terms of the way that newspapers are describing some of these sightings and the ways in which people are talking about them with each other. What do we know about how people in America observed unexplainable objects in the sky? How did they tend to talk about them? What would be the common grammar that people use to describe these objects? Well, these... Uh these 1890s sightings are dependent in part on uh, the conditions in America. Mm-hmm. People have always had some notion of uh, unusual flying objects or flying, not necessarily flying machines, but something unusual that would be in the air. In the very early days, uh, people used the religious framework where you have uh, like uh, Increase Mather, who wrote a, a book called uh, An Essay for Recording of Illustrious Providences, and it included strange sights in the sky, but they were always interpreted in a religious right. light. And then you come to the uh, 18th century, early 19th century, it was all some kind of anomalous natural phenomenon. The Northern Lights, as one example. Right, yeah. Right. And as you get into the later 19th century, then technology becomes the the dominant template for mm-hmm. understanding. In the 1890s, the belief system is that there's a flying machine that has just been invented. It's the fulfillment of that, uh, that wish, that desire, a realization of that expectation. Right. It was optimism. Thomas Bullard is the author of The Myth and Mystery of UFOs. 